Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. In due season we will, not, we will reap if we do not give up. It's hard to keep doing the right thing, isn't it? Day after day after day after day, when the, especially when the results are not immediately obvious, it's very difficult to keep doing the right thing. When it's 105 degrees and you're doing two-a-days, it's hard to remember that game day is coming. And you'll be grateful for the endurance and the toughness that you have built. When your marriage seems flat on its best days, it's hard to remember to keep doing what is right with your spouse and to keep looking out not only for your own needs, as the Scripture says, but above them also the needs of the other person. When your boss is a massive pain and you haven't had a good raise in five years, it's hard to remember to do your work heartily as to the Lord and not for men. Amen? Come on now, some of y'all, you need to be a little, a little more enthusiastic on that. <laughs> I, know you, I know you know what I'm talking about. And when you're single and you're lonely, it's hard to remember that God loves you and still has a perfect plan for you, even if you remain single and lonely and wish you weren't. It's tough. Really tough. You know, as Brother Rick said, it's tough being an Awana worker. It's tough being a Sunday school teacher. It's tough being a nursery volunteer. It's tough being a parent and having the, some of the same issues come up over and over and over. And it seems like, boy, responsibilities are endless. But you know what? It's still worth it because the Lord sees. And he says, in due season, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up, right? If we do not give up. God sees and cares and loves all who follow and trust in him. And more than that, he is a just God who rewards even in the midst of tough days. And this week, what we're going to be looking at is part of Joseph's life where we get to see the reward, and, you know, maybe in your life you won't live even to see the reward until the day, the great day, when you stand before the Lord. And he says, see all that your life has built as you were faithful to follow me. A lot of times we just get glimpses. But here's the deal. We serve a just God who, as he told the prophet Joel, restores what the locusts have eaten. Amen? So if you have your Bible, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 41. We want to see Joseph's rise from inmate to in charge. Uh, this, is, this is his story, how it happened. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass, 
And behold, several, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile and after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind. And the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. And then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with his own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. And when we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Now, if you remember from last week, Joseph is still in prison. It's been 13 years since he was sold into slavery by his brothers. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly how long he worked for Potiphar, but it's likely he was in prison for some period of time, several years, uh, before a while, before the chief cupbearer and the baker landed there with him. Uh, The baker was executed, just as Joseph said that he would be. Uh, And the cupbearer, despite his promise to remember Joseph once he got out of prison, forgot all about him for the next two years. And one night, Pharaoh himself has a couple of dreams. And the first is of seven cows that come up out of the edge of the Nile and feed in the grass along the edge. Nothing unusual about that. Uh, There was rushes and and reeds and so forth along the edge of of the Nile, and Cattle would often go down into those reeds and into the water and be partially submerged as a way of escaping the flies and the, uh, and the heat of the day as they'd have shade and they'd be cooler and stay away from the, the flies and the parasites. But, and then as, as, they, as, the, uh, as the sun started to go down or early in the morning, they'd come up out of that water and they'd feed in these grass flats that grew along the edge. So far, so good. Watches seven fat, healthy cows, the kind that make for good Big Macs, uh, go up along the side of the, along the side of the river and they're eating their grass and, you know, time for ribeye, you know. Uh, we got ribeye over there, New York Strip here, etc., right? And, um, and they're there. And then all of a sudden, these three nasty, uh, seven nasty-looking cows come up out of the water. And they're munching along with the grass along with the rest, and then all of a sudden, they start eating the healthy ones. Well, this is weird. Pharaoh wakes up, kind of startled that's strange cows don't normally do that goes back to sleep seven ears of grain he sees on one stalk and then and then uh, 
those ears get eaten by seven blighted, dry ears. And he wakes up and he wonders, what, what does all this mean? So he calls all the magicians and soothsayers and wise men and so forth. Nathan, please sit up. Calls together all these guys. And no one can be found that can, has any interpretation for his dream. And all of a sudden, the cupbearer has one of those V8 moments, you know, like, oh, man, I remember now. There was this guy who correctly interpreted my dream and that of the baker two years before, and he tells Pharaoh about Joseph. And finally, things are starting to look up. Let's see what happens. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit. And when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh, and Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I've heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the reed grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, but then they, when they had eaten, no one would have known they had eaten them, for they were as ugly as at the beginning. And then I awoke... I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears, withered, thin, and blighted by the east wind, sprouted up after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he's about to do. The seven good ears are seven years, and the seven good years are seven, seven. The seven good ears are seven years. I'm sorry, I lost my place. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh. God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it, is, it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now therefore let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land during the seven plentiful years, and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are occur in the land of Egypt so that the land may not perish through the famine." So Joseph immediately sends for Pharaoh, uh, for Joseph. I mean, Pharaoh immediately sends for Joseph, and he's in prison, so he's in no condition to meet the ruler. Uh, he's first shaved. Uh, Egyptians were bright people, and they figured out that parasites like lice thrive in human hair, and so all of their nobility were completely shaved bare. 
And that's probably what the text means has happened to Joseph, not just his beard, but all of his body hair. He's given new clothes. You can't wear the prison rags in the royal court. And finally, he's ready, and he goes before Pharaoh, who tells him that, I hear you can interpret dreams. And look at Joseph's response. Look at the text. He's careful not to take credit for himself, but to give glory to God alone. He says, it's not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. And, you know, one of the worst temptations we face as human beings is to grab uh, credit for things that go well and blame God when things go poorly. You know, if there's a flood, well, that's God's fault. But if I get a promotion at work, well, that's all, that's, that's me. That's my stuff at work right there. Joseph understands who is truly sovereign and truly responsible for the gifts that he has. And I'm not sure whether Pharaoh really understands what Joseph has just told him or not, but he proceeds to tell him the dream anyway, and J- Joseph immediately knows what it means. The two dreams are about the same event that is coming, that there's going to be seven years of great prosperity, bumper crops every year, and all of the, uh, all of the, the cows are going to get fat, and the grain is going to just be coming out of your ears, and you're going to have more to eat than you know what to do with. But those seven years of prosperity and plenty are going to be followed by seven years of famine, where the economy is going to go south, and it'll be as if those previous seven years never happened because all of the prosperity of those previous seven years is going to be consumed by the seven that follow. And on top of that, Joseph says, since these two dreams are about the same event and have the same meaning, it's clear this is something God has decided definitely to do And it's going to be quickly fulfilled. And so it's not some possibility, in other words, for some far off in the future time frame. It's going to happen now. And then Joseph gives Pharaoh some advice. He says, you know what you really need, Pharaoh, is some wise administrator to take 20%, to tax everybody 20% of the produce of the land in the years of abundance and store it. So that it can be used to feed people when the famine comes, so that the nation is not ruined. And this is a wise plan, amen? Always a good idea to store up some in days when times are good, so that you will have something when bad days come. Uh, But it's also a fairly bold statement, because if this interpretation of this dream turns out to be wrong, guess who's going to be held responsible? We all know who to blame if this is wrong. And this is one big reason, I think, why Joseph is given the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker when he's in prison. Remember, Joseph himself had two dreams. And he interpreted those, he thought, in a way that was going to lead to his one day ruling even over his mother and father. As he sees the sun and the moon and the stars bow down to him. He's a 17-year-old kid when this happens. And and it'd be easy to think as you're sitting there in prison, 
that, you know, I, I don't know about that. I, I think maybe I, I must have got my wires crossed or something on those two dreams because uh, nothing in my current experience uh, lends, that, lends credence to the idea that I got that right. And so I think God in His grace sends him the cupbearer and the baker in their dreams, even while he's in prison, even knowing he's going to be there for another two years after that. So that Joseph, when, he, when the day comes, that he's going to stand before Pharaoh and answer Pharaoh's two dreams. That he has confidence that God is with him and has given him the ability to do this. He's on a much bigger stage. And that plan is great, but there's one glaring need that it points out, which is you need, a, you need this man to administer it, right? Let's read on. This proposal pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. And Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this, in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has shown you all this, there is none so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall order themselves as you command. Only as regards the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. And he made him ride in his second chariot, and they called out before him, Bow the knee! Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, and without your consent no one shall lift up hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphnath paneah and he gave him in, mar- gave him in marriage Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. So Joseph went out over the land of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out in the presence of Pharaoh and went through all the land of Egypt. During the seven plentiful years, the earth produced abundantly, and he gathered up all the food of these seven years which occurred in the land of Egypt and put the food in the cities. He put in every city the food from the fields around it, and Joseph stored up grain in great abundance like the sand of the sea till he ceased to measure it, for it could not be measured." Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. The seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began to come, as Joseph had said. There was famine in all lands. But in all the land of Egypt, there was bread. When the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, go to Joseph. What he says to you, do. So when the famine had spread over all the land, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe in the land of Egypt. Moreover, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe over all the earth. There was no wise man in all of Egypt who could tell Pharaoh the meaning of these dreams or how to respond. And so 
Pharaoh immediately decided that Joseph was just the, the wise man that his plan needed, and he makes him uh, officially the vizier, or the second in command, or prime minister, if you will. Second, in, uh, second only to Pharaoh, the only thing he does not have is the throne. But otherwise, he is, it is as if he is the crown prince of Egypt. He has all of the authority over all of the nobles and over all of the people and over everything that happens in the land of Egypt. Uh, He's given a new name. He's given a wife from the family of the high priest of this Egyptian city of On, which later is known as Heliopolis. It's a center of sun god worship in Egypt, and it's therefore one of the most important religious centers in the nation. And he is given the daughter of the high priest of this city. And the idea is is that it's as if you have married into the house of Windsor. This is a high-ranking noble family that now Joseph, the former slave, former inmate, now has royal blood he's connected to. He's given Pharaoh's signet ring, which enables him to enact legislation with, the, with just his word and the imprint of the Pharaoh behind him. He is given a gold chain, which represented his authority to wear around his neck. Uh, he is given Pharaoh's second chariot to ride in with runners to go ahead of him through, throughout Egypt and say, Bow the knee before Pharaoh's grand vizier. And then Joseph goes to work. He collects 20% of the produce of the land for the next seven years, and they are abundant beyond measure. In fact, they have so much grain, they don't know what to do with it all, and they just stop counting. You know, it's like, it's like those signs that you see on McDonald's. They used to say, you know, over 100 billion serves, you know. So many billions served, and they would keep changing the sign, right? And now it just says billions and billions, and it all becomes like Carl Sagan, right? Billions and billions. Uh, and we just have no idea. How many hamburgers did we make? Beats me. <laughs> okay, a lot. How much grain did they have? More than they could keep track of. And... Egypt was the breadbasket of the ancient world, and the reason was that most of the rest of North Africa and the Middle East rely on rainfall for crops, just like, incidentally, central Illinois relies on rainfall for crops. And irrigation is not an idea that had yet been really thought of. And what you relied on was the annual flooding of the Nile. And when there would be snow up in the mountains, the, the, it would melt, and then eventually it would flood, this massive floodplain along the banks of the Nile. And you'd have all this silt that would wash down, and it would moisten the ground all over, and you would plant your crops in that muddy silt all the way out on these floodplains that are just massive. The Nile is one of the most massive river, rivers in the world, covered carries millions and millions of gallons of water. carries less now than it did since they have dammed it in various places. But 
they have prevented all that flooding now, but it used to just absolutely cover out to miles along the edge of the Nile where people would plant their crops and they would have abundant grain because the floods were always reliable. They always came. Lots of people elsewhere in the world had to rely on rainfall. And if if it didn't come, your fields dried up and blew away, just like we have seen around here. Seven years, they have prosperity beyond measuring. And then the famine comes. And Joseph is seen as the savior of Egypt and of the rest, even of the known world of those days, because there's food in Egypt when there isn't any to be had anywhere else. But, Joseph has an Egyptian title, an Egyptian wife, an Egyptian name, rules just under Egypt's Pharaoh, but Joseph is not an Egyptian. And he himself knows that. And so he gives his sons Hebrew names. He names the first one Manasseh, which sounds like the Hebrew verb forget. Because God's blessing on his life has been so abundant that it has caused him to forget all the pain of his family life and his earlier time in Egypt. It's enabled him to forget. He names the second son Ephraim, which is Hebrew for fruitful. Because God has so blessed him in Egypt beyond what he could have even imagined. And his dreams from all those years ago are being fulfilled. In a totally surprising way, God is blessing and making him fruitful. And Joseph is grateful, and so he gives these Hebrew names with deep meaning to his boys, that he would have a living reminder of how God is able to make me fruitful. God is able to bless. God is able to restore what the locusts have eaten. And God has caused me, therefore, to forget all that was in the past, and to enjoy the fruitfulness of the present. I have heard that the very best grade of bamboo, you know, which is the stuff they use uh, in Asia for scaffolding as well as for making furniture, grows in a very unusual way. The first year, that you, what you do is you plant it, and then you fertilize it and water it, And you have to fertilize and water in precise amounts at precise times. And that first year, nothing visible happens. You look out at your spot where you've planted this and there's nothing above the ground. And the second year, what you do is you cultivate and weed and fertilize and water all at the right times and in the right amounts, and again, nothing noticeable happens. And in the third year, you cultivate and water and fertilize at exactly the right times and in exactly the right amounts, and nothing noticeable happens. And in the fourth year, you weed and cultivate and fertilize and water at the right times and in the right amounts. And it's great because nothing noticeable happens. 
And in the fifth year, you do identically the same thing, and nothing noticeable occurs. And in the sixth year, you do the same thing. You weed and cultivate and fertilize and water at the right times and in the right amounts, and nothing happens. But in the seventh year, at precisely the right time, that sucker grows 90 feet in six weeks. Obviously, there's been a lot more going on below the surface than what you can see above the ground. 90 feet, six weeks. It pays off huge in due season at the appropriate time. The harvest is not just visible, it's massive. And I submit to you that God's ways with His people are very often like that. You can't always see what God is doing in your life. Amen? You cannot always see the full extent of the harvest until the day when we stand before the Lord. But, as Paul says to the Galatians, do not grow weary in doing well. Because in due time you will reap harvest if you do not give up. In due time you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. Be faithful right now in the little things of this life. And Jesus promises that you will be entrusted with great things in the life to come. Because as Jesus said, he who is faithful in very little will also be faithful with very much. Amen? Remember the parable of the talents? Remember? There was massive reward for the two servants who faithfully carried out their master's wishes, utilizing their varying abilities to earn the master a profit. And both of them were rewarded in proportion to their faithfulness. Both of them. You know, they got varying amounts to start with according to their abilities, but they were both faithful with what they were given according to the abilities they had. And when the master settled accounts, he gave massive reward for the faithfulness that they had had with what they had been given. The only servant who did not receive a blessing from his master was the one who did nothing with what he was given. So, do not grow weary in well-doing, for in due time you will reap a harvest. What do I mean? Don't Give up serving with your spiritual gifts. Every one of us has been given a spiritual gift, Paul says. And then he says, employ it in serving one another. Employ it in serving one another. Don't give up on trying to be a godly parent. Even though it's frustrating. Even though you have spanked for the fifth time today the same child for the same offense even though you have less hair because you have extracted it forcibly from your own scalp. Do not give up. Do not give up. Don't give up 
being a godly husband. Don't give up being a godly wife just because you don't see any change in the other person yet. It's not your job, first of all, to change them. It's your job to be faithful before God with what He, uh, he has called you to do. Everybody is an expert when they... When they come into counseling, they point me to these passages that they have read out of the scriptures that have to do with marriage, and they say to me the same thing always. My spouse is not doing X. And I say to them, well, that's interesting, but that's not written to you. (laughs) Last I checked, you are the wife or you are the husband. And those verses aren't yours. How are you doing on the ones that are? Don't give up simply because you don't see the change in them you'd like to see. Don't trade in biblical standards regarding dating and relationships for the temporary relief of loneliness. Some of you young people, some of you not so young, are awfully tempted to do that. To trade in what God has said in order to feel relief from the pain in your heart of being lonely. Don't do that. Do not grow weary in doing what is right. For in due time, you'll reap harvest if you don't give up. Don't stop trying to share the gospel with your unsaved neighbors and friends and co-workers and family. And by the way, here's a good time to bring this up. What is the gospel? I'm going to ride this hobby horse until we're tired of it. Okay? What's the gospel? Cross and was raised from the dead. Exactly! Jesus died on the cross and was raised from the dead. Just about the time that we're all sick of repeating it is about the time we're going to have it learned and know what it is and be able to share it. Don't give up. Don't Give up on resisting those sins that are so tempting and that you so want to give in to. Don't give up. Christian life is a fight. It's a prize fight. And you win by the power of the Holy Spirit flowing through your life as you submit to Him. You might not get $20 million and get to say, I'm the greatest of all time, you know, like, you know, Muhammad Ali or one of those guys, right? But what you do get to do is say, Jesus is the greatest of all time. And he has enabled me to conquer my sin in this area or that one or this one. And I'm working on this one, and I got him down on points. Keep pursuing Christ. Keep preaching the gospel to yourself, reminding yourself that God loves you, that even though you fall, that Christ has forgiven you and bought you for himself, and that you will have a reward if you keep pressing on, if you keep fighting, keep struggling, keep doing what is right because it is right and because it pleases God whom you love and who sent his son for you. Be faithful in a little right now, and you will be entrusted with much from the hand of our Lord and King and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the days to come. And your reward will come just as suddenly as Joseph's did. 
He was faithful with a little thing. He continued to trust God even when he had no reason to do so. And God poured out blessing and reward on him. And he will pour out blessing and reward on you as you are faithful to serve and love and trust and obey him as he loves you. Let's pray. God, our Heavenly Father, I pray that we would not grow weary and lose heart, that we would not give up, that we would not get tired or allow our tiredness to be an excuse. Father, it's easy for us to become worn and to just go, you know, I've been doing this for a long time. I need a break. I need to step back. I'm tired. I don't want to do this anymore. Father, help us not to grow weary in doing what is right, knowing that the harvest is coming, knowing that the Lord of the harvest will hand reward to those who have faithfully served in his field and that it will be so beyond what we can imagine. We've been faithful in very little but you will entrust us with much because you love us with a superabundant grace which transforms us. Father, I pray that, that we would walk before you, not like Joseph, although he was faithful, but like Jesus, who was perfectly faithful. And that you might work in us the things which you call us to. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.